Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to a reload of the What's Next podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes, and I always like to bring those ones back that had a huge impact, not only on myself, but I got a lot of feedback from listeners just like you. I hope you enjoy this week's reload of the What's Next podcast. Hi, this is Tiffany Bova. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the personal honor and pleasure to welcome Beth Comstock to the show today. She is a self-described changemaker. She's been the president of Integrated Media at NBC Universal, overseeing ad sales, marketing, and research, and was known as a constant innovator. She led the company's digital efforts, including Peacock Equity, acquiring iVillage.com, and oversaw the founding of Hulu and was then tapped by GE to accelerate its evolution from an old-school conglomerate to a global technology-driven company. Cultivating a startup mentality across the organization for over two decades, she was a catalyst for growth and novel thinking within GE, ultimately operating their business innovation unit and serving as their first female vice chair and first chief marketing officer in more than 20 years. She's also held roles at CBS and Turner Broadcasting. She is a member of Nike's board of directors. She's been named by Forbes as the world's, one of the world's 100 most powerful women. She's constantly named as one of the most influential chief marketing officers, most influential communicators. And at the end of 2018, she authored her first book, Imagine It Forward. Welcome to the show, Beth. Hi, Tiffany. Thanks for having me. What a great bio. It's always, uh, everyone kind of goes, oh, it's so strange to have somebody read my bio when I'm on the line. You're sort of like, oh, is she done yet? But there was nothing I wanted to cut out. So I, you know, as I said, I really appreciate you uh, being on the show today. So we're going to start this off with something I call bullish and bearish. It's just a way to sort of loosen up the guest and sort of get the juices flowing. So bullish is you're for it, bearish is you're against it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All righty. The first one, bullish or bearish, you need to get permission to make things happen. Uh, I'm so bearish. Very bearish. Good. I knew that was going to, that was a softball. Yeah. I'm a growl, a growling big black bear <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Running down a New York street, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. The next one is introverts make better leaders. Uh, I'm uh, I'm bullish on that one. And I can't wait to talk about that because I think people I'm would be quietly sur- bullish on yes, that one. Yes, yes. I, I think people would be uh, surprised after that biography I just did on you that you are a self-proclaimed introvert. So we'll get into that in a second. All right. The third one, a little more fun, is artificial intelligence one day will take on the role of a chief marketing officer. I'm so bearish on that. Well, I, with, with an asterisk, which I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> well, you know, it's always fun to ask a former CMO if they think that their job will ever be replaced, right? But uh, especially with all the talk about about AI, uh, so I think that that that's fun. But what you know, why don't why don't we start there? Because okay. I think uh, a couple of things. One, uh, you know, being one of the you know the first sort of CMO at GE for more than 20 years, I think you've got a unique perspective on kind of what it takes to be a CMO. And you very quickly said bearish on that. So with all this advancement in technology, where where do you sort of see that moving towards? 
Well, I would uh, be very worried if a CMO thinks their job is just algorithms and uh, artificial intelligence, because part of the challenge of a, a chief marketing officer is to, to have both the science and the art. Um, you need the creativity and strategy, I think, even more now than ever. And I really worry that in the age of AI and robotics, uh, we're giving up a lot of our creative problem solving and creative storytelling uh, capability. So I worry when I hear marketers just focused on um, programmatic ad buys or just give me the data and the answers will come from the data. Uh, that doesn't seem like a very inspired marketer in my mind. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I, you know, I, I sort of call myself a recovering seller who learned how to be a marketer. I'm, I'm sort of on the other side of the coin on that. And I, I'm often asked the question, do I think AI can replace salespeople? And I, I answer fairly similarly, right? Where you say, well, in some of the tasks from an automation standpoint, I hope so, because, you know, why do we still need to do that? But the relationship and the storytelling and the, you know, the engagement, uh, and the listening that that's, I think that's just the human part of the business. You know, it's interesting you're saying that because I, in, in my experience working, <clears throat> overseeing both sales and marketing, working with, um, you know, both. And I, we, we could talk a whole other time about just the tension between sales and marketing. But I remember um, when we first got Salesforce.com, Salesforce for our, our, for customer relationship management for our salespeople. Um, and there was that fear um, that uh, just even sharing their leads and putting in, you know, where their customers were, was going to kind of take the take away their capability. But I, even something as simple as Salesforce started to expose the relationship development salespeople versus the more formulaic salespeople. Um, and uh, I found the best sellers I ever worked with were the ones that took a long view listened well, and were able to build a relationship. An algorithm cannot do that. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I often say that I think sellers that are not as successful in the future, and I, I wonder if you would agree with this on the marketer side, is that you get beat by someone where it's, it's human and intelligence, not one or the other. It's an and play. And I think the same thing from a marketer perspective. You want to be a really effective CMO or marketer in whatever sort of role you're in, it's really using both. You're so well said, Tiffany. I mean, it really is that ambidextrousness that um, that I think we need in in leadership. It's able to do to channel both of those capabilities. You know, it's not just a technology, but it's creativity and strategy. It, it's both of those things, and I think a wise leader uh, recognizes the tension in that. Um, and also builds their team with varying capabilities. Um, not everyone is going to have equal amounts of the skills that you need. Well, what a perfect thing for you to say right before what I was just going to ask you, because I think people would be surprised. You're probably one of the very few people uh, on the planet, maybe. Uh, we're talking about leaders and some of the most well-known business leaders in the world building powerful teams, you've been asked by two to join their team. One was Jack Welch from GE at the time, and the other was Steve Jobs at Apple to go work for them. One you said yes to, which would be GE. One you turned down, which was Steve Jobs twice, not just once. And so talking about how, you know, sort of leading executives, understanding that building the right teams I'd love for you to 
to sort of walk the listeners through that process of being asked by two people like that to join the team, their teams, and and what that was like, and then really the the conversation around uh, making the decision to not accept the job from Steve Jobs. Yeah, well, and they were at different points in my career. Uh, when I was I was at NBC both times, and GE owned NBC at the time, but. Uh, Jack Welch was looking, he, he was looking ahead at his succession. He was going to leave GE and kind of deputize a new leader in, in a four-year period and tap me out of NBC. And at the time it was, um, I, I, I'm ambitious. I was especially ambitious there. Um, it was an opportunity. Uh, I remember I talked to a, a, a mentor of mine at the time and he said, just face it, you can't say no to this. And I said, that's exactly my feeling. And I don't know why. But I think for me, it was just an opportunity to see the world, get to expose, be exposed to, to business in a way I hadn't in the media world. And so um, at that point, I, um, I actually didn't, almost didn't know what I was going into, except it seemed like an opportunity. By the time, it was probably a, a good 12 or so years later that I, um, so I grew up in GE that, through that time, and they sent me back to NBC, and I was leading digital media. And I had gotten a chance to work with the Apple team as we were digitizing and, you know, selling shows at the time on iTunes. And I'd gotten to know some of Steve's team and they approached me about a job and, and he got in at the last minute, you know, always trying to woo people to come there. And um, I turned him down the second time he called me and said, hey, I've got a different idea. And it was somewhat ambiguous. Um, which normally I'm okay with back to what I said earlier about Jack Welch, but I had just, I, at the time wanted, I I knew what I wanted to do and I wanted to be more in content and story development and more direct to, to consumer around content. And Apple at the time was still a technology company. It was about the device. They were just starting to be a platform for content. And so I had a very clear reason of why I didn't want to do it, but I put it in my book also to say, it's not to say I didn't often question that. I didn't at times regret it, certainly when I looked at the financials and stock price of GE versus Apple. But at that time, I I had grown a lot and knew myself and knew what I wanted to do in the course of my career. Um, But you do, you, I guess my message in, in sharing that is to say, you have good reasons to pick a path, either a yes or no. And then you have to make it work. You have to say, I've chosen this path. You can't sit there and say, ah, oh, what did I do? I, I should have, because you can't go back and, and do that. Well, and I think through your process, you, you know, besides driving your husband crazy, a lot of it had to do with creating this kind of pros and cons list of what's the benefit of staying versus leaving. And even further was not feeling this sense of being disloyal for for having the conversations with Steve when you were at GE. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I I actually kept my decision matrix uh, filed away. I still have it today. So it clearly was an important decision for me. I kind of have this process where I, when I do, to your point, drive my, usually my husband and anyone else who I'm asking for advice crazy, but I, I kind of ruminate and wallow in it. And then I, I go pro con notes. I spend days looking at that. And then I say, okay, I've got to make a decision. I look at it one last time. I put it away. I go to sleep. And then when I wake up the next morning, it's like, okay, what's my gut telling me to do? And I don't, you know, I don't try to go over and over and over and ask 800 people for advice after that. I've made the decision. Um, And so I think that's, to me, you have to learn to listen to yourself. 
in the end, Apple just wasn't the right place for me. Um, and I had to know that as great as, and this was pre like Steve Jobs becoming like the innovation God of business. It was just on the cusp of that. So it was before all of that, but even then it, I, I, you know, that wasn't the right step for me and I have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. And I think a lot of what you just said has uh, the, the sort of the double click for me is this very clear self-awareness. Like you said, it just wasn't right for you. And I think the message there is also for people who are at a crossroad in their career or are being asked maybe to uh, leave their company or take on a new role is being really self-aware of, does it feel right for you? Exactly. And you mentioned something earlier, this notion of loyalty. I I was very loyal to GE. I spent uh, over 25 years there. I was very loyal to 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 Jeff Immel. I, I will set the stage by saying when I had those conversations with Apple, I was in the midst of one of my worst jobs ever at NBC. It was a lot of tension. I was doing well in some respects and not well in other respects. And so I had a lot of reason to want to leave. Um, that made it even 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 more difficult. And I think you uh, what I I think a lot about loyalty, and I think that's another thing. Like some would say, it's it's disloyal to even talk to someone else. I don't believe that. I think you owe it to yourself to explore if if there are other opportunities to know what your worth is in a broader arena than the company you work in, and um, and ultimately. Uh, I decided I felt I wanted to stay. So it was a test of what was loyalty to me. So I don't believe you're disloyal in talking to other people. I think that's how you explore what, what you want to do and be. Yeah. And I think if once you make that decision, nope, I'm going to stay, it almost results in this kind of renewed commitment exactly. to the company you're at. Like, exactly. you know, this is why I'm here. I know why I'm here. I could have left. I didn't. Uh, and and even even in the comment you made about it wasn't your happiest time, and I think a lot of that was driven, to use your words, was uh, it had to do with this sort of title and responsibility without accountability, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and at NBC at the time there was just incredible disruption. I mean, still in the media world, disruption through the digitization. Netflix was just on the scene, YouTube, and people were were scared. Um, and it became very tribal. And I, you know, got right in the weeds and fought fought with the best of them, which wasn't really good for somebody who was supposed to be leading change. And partly, I didn't want to just run away. I think there was also a bit of that, well, it'd be so easy to take this job and not have to face into the change I'm supposed to be part of. Yeah. And, and I think that 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 tribal comment you just made, do you mean that in like a group think kind of tribal? Well, I mean, it's us against them. I, I found this is a pattern I've seen hanging around, you know, enough situations where um, trying to introduce what's new and next. Um, it became a little bit. Uh, so what I, I, I had been at GE as chief marketing officer, I introduced um, a clean tech initiative and they're like, hey, you're you like change. Go back to NBC and help usher in digital. And I hired some great experts, but pretty quickly it became the digital cool kids against the kind of, you know, old school broadcasting folks. Maybe the old school cable guys would have been even a little bit more contemporary. Well, that's no way to usher in change, like us against you. You just don't get it, do you? It was kind of under our breath. And uh, it's no surprise, really. I mean, people were fearful of the change that YouTube and Netflix was bringing in industry. And we, we didn't 
we didn't address those fears. Uh, so I think that's what I mean by tribal. It just got, we got to be a little uh, in, we were in the same company, but we got to be kind of warring factions. It was the cool digital kids against the Luddite broadcasting kids. And that was not helpful for finding a common ground, for dealing with the conflict, for navigating our way forward. And what happens in those situations, and I know everybody listening to this has been there. We've all been there. You kill ideas just because it's the other person's idea. Uh, you under uh, you undervalue the experience that people bring to the table in both arenas, and you're just trying to prove you're right as opposed to listen and figure out how you can what needs to be changed and what doesn't need to be changed. And so I was just in the middle of all of that. And it was such an important lesson. I wrote in the book, um, I wrote that I, I didn't know until I fin was finishing the book and I checked in with Jeff Immelt, who had been my, who was the CEO and chairman of GE. And I said, was there ever a time you thought you might fire me? And he goes, yeah, that time you were at NBC. Well, first of all, he, I, I ended up going back to GE, but he never really told me that, which I, I think I would, I kind of knew it, but it would have been helpful to hear from him. But my point in, I wrote in the book, what, what he said is you lost your perspective. And so to me, it was as if I jumped off the balcony into the mosh pit, right? This kind of, I just got sucked into the events and lost my perspective. And, um, and it wasn't good for change. And it really wasn't good at that moment for my, my job or the future of my job potentially. Well, so I want to I want to lean into change a little bit because I think that that's just you know the norm, sort of the new normal is change, <laughs> uh, right? And, and, and there's a couple things I want to dig into because there's very few hundred year old plus companies left, you know, uh, and GE was one of them. And so the way you talked about having the kind of scrappy kid in the corner that's very you know digital and. 21st century and really trying to keep up with the, you know, the Netflix of the world, right? Whomever it might be in your respective industry amongst, you know, the rest of the company that is massive, that has all this sort of internal inertia going on. Uh, and as an introverted sort of self-proclaimed introverted leader, like there's, that's a lot that you would have to navigate of change, inertia, leadership style, et cetera. And so how did you think about pulling that together and what do you think you did well? And what do you think if you could have gone, you know, if you could go back today and say, boy, these are the one or two things I would have changed. Uh, it may not have changed what happened in the end, but I would have changed it. Well, I, I think it's a really good question, Tiffany. I, I, um, I, I'd answer with one word, uh, what I did well, one word, curiosity, and I tapped into it. Um, I am an introvert. Um, I'm also shy and they're different things, but introvert, just you tend to draw into yourself. You hold back. You're quiet. Susan Cain has that great book, Quiet, about the power of introverted leadership. Um, it means as an introvert, I'm a good listener. I'm an observer. I'm a synthesizer. Those things are important in times of change. I'm rarely the loudest person or the life of the party in any, any arena. Um, and what it meant to me was I had to draw on a strength that I have, which is I'm a curious person. And so I kind of made it my business while most of the company was, you know, looking at internal best practices and, you know, the, the core operations and in the weeds. I saw what wasn't happening was looking outside of the company, understanding trends. To me, it was taking my marketing job incredibly seriously. It was about living in the market, 
When you do that, you see trends, patterns, insights. And so that curiosity took me to say, hey, change is coming in clean tech. Change is coming in the digitization, not just of media, but industry. And so it gives you a voice. It builds confidence. It's not about me seeing these things. These things are happening. I'm a bit of a translator. And so I, I, I had to become this outsider inside, you know, kind of keep that curiosity, but then translate it back inside. So that's how I was able to harness the introversion. Um, and, um, and frankly, some of it was just having to also get out of my own way to get out there, to, to not feel, um, uh, awkward about, about it. And, and when you see things, when you see these patterns, like I said, it gives you this confidence. So that, that was the, how I, how I, I the, both the good and the bad. And I think also bringing in other voices, uh, I call them sparks, people who can provoke a conversation. If I say, Hey, I just saw some, I see this pattern. It's called blockchain, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. People in the company are like, what do you know? Like you're a marketer. What do you know? Uh, and so I'd have to bring in outside experts who could provoke the conversation, who could help people see it in, do, in new ways. And again, as a, as a more quiet person, perhaps I was more comfortable uh, letting other people have a voice or letting other people provoke some of those conversations. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of what you just said is the sort of creation of, of diverse teams, but but I don't want to skip over when I one of the first questions I asked you in Bullish and Bearish is you need to get permission to make things happen. Uh, and you were, you know, it was like big, you know, <laughs> not, not, I don't agree, right? Running down the street in New York. And thinking about that, you had a really unique way of allowing people and, and maybe even other people on your team or in other teams who are also introverted and may not raise their voice in a meeting of mixed company or be less inclined to say something because it may not be what everyone else thinks it, it is, right? It's just sort of this dissenting opinion of, of something that's going on. And so you created something called uh, permission slips, which I found a fantastic concept idea that I want to, you know, conveniently borrow from you, because I think it's a, a great way for uh, a safe way for someone to try something different. So w- would you mind sharing what those permission slips are? Sure. It's a fundamental belief I have. It was what one of the key reasons I wrote Imagine It Forward. I could have called it permission granted. In fact, I, I toyed with that. But this this notion uh, I found in working in change and innovation is that, um, people are often afraid. They're afraid of trying something new. You see a better way, you, you see some change happening, but you're, you're afraid of going after it. And so um, often what happens is we're looking for validation, we're looking for permission. Um, and I've seen this in so many cases where someone comes to pitch a new idea, it could be a C-suite person or somebody just starting in their career. They're told no by a decision maker. Um, no, you can't do that. And you never hear from them again. And I've had that happen many times, but I learned it was kind of a test of my passion. Did I see these trends in the marketplace? Yes. Then I got to come back again. So this idea of you got to give yourself permission to try things, to to kind of say no is to me not yet. And so um, I just saw this where people would be like, no, my boss won't let me. Or, eh, you know, I don't have enough budget or the investors will never go for that or all the things we all say. And sometimes they're true, but often it's an alibi. It's us saying, 
uh, I'm afraid they're not going to go for it. Um, and I just, I, I saw it enough and I knew it enough in myself that I just started using the simple hack of, okay, remember in high school, you, your mom, you, you forged your mother's signature to get out of PE or chemistry or whatever. Well, I want you to do it for yourself. I, I, I'd have to say I'm giving you permission, but as a team leader, but I think that's not enough. You have to do it. So take out a piece of paper and write, I, Tiffany, give myself permission to whatever it is. Ask a question in the next meeting. Pitch an idea. It could be as simple as we're going to change the way we hold this meeting. It doesn't have to be like I'm going to go to Mars. And just do it. Hold yourself accountable. And so I, what I, I, to me, the message behind it is you, all of us have a lot more agency and permission to do things at work. Two, you have to challenge yourself to get out of your own way. And three, these little kind of mental hacks, as goofy as they seem, and trust me, a permission slip is goofy, they do work. Well, you know, I, I mean, I could, there's just not enough time for me to talk about sort of all the lessons that you've learned, you know, once again, you know, at, at one of the most innovative companies, you know, that really the world has ever seen in so many ways from leadership to management to, you know, technology to devices, things that just really have shaped the world. But in, as we think about rounding out this conversation, because now you've been gone from GE for, for how long has it been now? Yeah, it's been over. It's been a, about uh, 16 months. Yeah. About 16 months. Yeah. So, you know, you were loyal to a company for well over 20 years of your career. You'd moved around, you'd, you know, been really recognized as one of the, you know, most powerful women in, in business for sure, with no question, especially running uh, such a large organization. But I'm interested to hear what you've learned since then, since leaving GE in the last 16 months, because all of these examples, right, are very much about big team, high pressure, innovation, traveling around the world, billions of dollars in budget and billions of dollars of revenue you're responsible for. And now it's sort of, you know, not that. Yeah, well, it, I, I would say the past you know, 14, 16 months has been a lot of um, discovery, self, self-discovery and discovering kind of re, rebooting my place in the world. I mean, Leaving, it was an abrupt departure at GE. I mean, GE's had a tough year, kind of their re, uh, another reset moment, a lot of complexity that needs to be, um, you know, sort of worked through. It's an amazing company, but it was, uh, I, I left earlier than I thought because a new uh, CEO I worked for was out, new guy came in and said, like, we don't need you anymore. Um, so, you know, I was, I knew I'd leave, but I left sooner than I thought. And so that was abrupt. I, I left behind a, a company and a job I really liked and a team I adore. I mean, one of the reasons we work is, I think, because of the amazing teamwork. Uh, when it's amazing, you feel that way. So I had to, I had to launch this book. I had a great publisher, but as you know, Tiffany, a, a lot of work putting a book out is you do it a lot your own, on your own. And so I had to create a bit of my own startup in the past year. And um, what I, uh, it's somewhat lonely, right? I, it's not somewhat, it's very lonely. Um, you want, I had to create different, you know, tap into different existing teams, uh, find my way. Um, and all that, I, I, I feel much stronger having done that. Um, I can do it. I, I, uh, but I've also learned a lot about myself. So now kind of books out there and, uh, I am gonna, I'm feeling much more confident. I, I found my voice uh, in a, in a way. I've been untethered from a company, so I'm a lot, I think, freer to say things that are on my mind, share things raw, unformed, and and perhaps not worry as much about how it comes out. So those are some of the things I I've learned. But really, um, a sense of 
resiliency, a, a sense of renewed confidence, and just a reminder that I'm a learner and, and I'm okay with starting over again. And in fact, that's how I'm entering this year is wandering and figuring out what's next for me. Well, it, you know, it's been it, it's been your career as you know an employee of a company was inspiring. I think for for many women around around the world. So you know, I personally I appreciate everything you've done and really sort of blazed trails for lots of us to aspire for bigger things for ourselves individually. So you know, you have been missed in those leadership roles, but I, you know, I'm super excited to to hear that it's been also really positive for you personally, because I think, you know, it sometimes with executives like you, even with uh, Indra, when she left Pepsi, and it was like the balance you give up as a woman in a role like you, you know, with that kind of responsibility and the decisions you make, uh, that there's never really balance. So refinding yourself, uh, I think is, is, uh, you know, inspiring as well that, that on the other end of something you weren't expecting, like, you know, leaving the job you loved, uh, is been some positive things for you as well. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. Yeah. And I would say, Tiffany, I mean, I, I think I, you know, we started out, you said, uh, I, I call myself a change maker and words kind of fail me. I mean, I, I, I haven't, I, I, I guess I wrangle change. I try to understand change, but it doesn't mean I like all change, especially change that you don't control. And so maybe that's a message to leave this conversation with is, you know, I had to remind myself in the course of this kind of chaotic year I've had, it's not all bed of roses and you're not just, not every day is like the day you want it to be. Um, but again, go back to the things that make you, that, that are your strengths. To me, it's about, I'm curious, I'm a learner. I've been here before. I got I got to get out and discover what what are those what what's the story I now want my life to be. So um, I think in times of change, go back to your strengths; they will serve you well. Well, great. Well, I have two last things for you. One uh, is I have a little bit of fun with this. Is you know if you know if you could have dinner with anybody who's either you know with us or no longer with us knowing what you know now, right after that, sort of where you are personally in your life today, who would that be? Well, right now I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm sort of intrigued by Leonardo da Vinci. I, I read Walter Isaacson's <laughs> book and uh, he's so such a curious person. I, I, I mean, I remember at the end of Isaacson's book, I just went back and reread some of it recently while he's on my mind. You know, he did this whole study of, of how a woodpecker's tongue works. It was like, what? So I would have just wanted to like ask him about his curiosity and his brain. So that that's who I'd like to have dinner with right now. All right. And the and the last one is which I found fascinating in a in a number of of articles that I read and sort of, you know, getting ready for our time together. It was you know, what caught me was this sort of subliminal message that I picked up and maybe I'm I'm not right on this, but I'll give it a shot. Sort of that you know, titles define might define who you are and how people treat you. And then without the title, people treat you very differently. And I think that's maybe something else that you learned in this last sort of 16 months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you kind of know that, but you think, oh, you know, not me or I, I'm not, it's not going to bother me, but it does. I mean, I, uh, people who, you know, you thought were your work friends disappear and not that they, they just move on, right? We all move on. And, um, and sometimes it's just a stark reminder that the things that you 
uh, held do- dear, you know, everyone's moved on and you kind of have to say, I've got to move on. So, um, yeah, this has been a year of, uh, uh, you know, people who I thought were, were work friends or friends I made through work are kind of on to the next thing. And I got to rediscover and reset up some new, new relationships. I have a great network. And uh, I'm, I think it's your friends at times like this that, that you really can call on. And so that's also been a good thing to be reconnected and reminded of the, the people who are, are there uh, in the good and the bad. Well, I know personally, I appreciate the fact you're in my network. So I consider you part of my tribe. So, you know, I, I, you know before and after, I, it's same for me. So, so I'll, I'll say that. Um, well, thanks, Tiffany. So the last thing I'd say is, with what you just said, and we're going to go back to my sort of, you know, 60 second bio of you at the beginning, which is this illustrious career. How would you want people to introduce you today? Uh, hi, this is Beth Comstock. And that's it. That's it. And then I think I would like the mystery of, okay, then it sets up a conversation. So what's your story? And my story is changing. So when we meet next, whoever it is, I look forward to telling you a new story. Well, I think it's just been super inspiring. And I'm inspired by, you know, watching and listening and admiring the next step in your story, Beth. Like I said, it's just, it's been a pleasure having you on here. It's been a pleasure uh, and an inspiration to watch you over the years. So I I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do for the industry, uh, for for women in business and and just for all the change you've you've pushed through everything we do on a daily basis. Well, thanks and congrats to you on all that you're accomplishing and the, the success of the book as well. So thanks Tiffany, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you Beth. What an amazing podcast. I so thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Beth Comstock. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. There was so many nuggets of gold she shared about her 20-year career at GE, about how to run teams, be uncomfortable, change jobs, be an introvert, and be successful. But most of all, what I loved was at the end where she just said, I hope people... When I get introduced now, it will just be Beth Comstock, that I'm writing my next story. And I think it's a great lesson for all of us to realize that our jobs do not define us. Who we are, the networks we create, the friends we make along the way is what's important. And with each new opportunity comes this next story that we're going to create. So I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe to the What's Next podcast, leave a review, share with your friends, I appreciate you spending your time with me today. I'll look forward to having you join me again next time.